So good morning. All right, so we just heard from God that a rich man comes to Jesus telling him that since his youth, he kept the commandments of God. That's pretty good. And asked what he was lacking. And so in Matthew's account, it tells us that Jesus replied to him, telling him that if he were to be perfect, he'd sell all his possessions and provide for the poor. And if he followed Christ in doing so, that he would have treasures in heaven, if he would give all that he had for the needs of others and come and follow Christ. You know, in Mark's account of the same circumstance, it tells us that Jesus looked at this young man and it says that he loved him before telling him that he only lacked one thing. So this young man asked Jesus what he was lacking and Jesus gave him an instruction as a response. And so the question that we have is what was the one thing that this rich man lacked? And I think from the context, we find that as much as he believed in the eternal kingdom of God, he loved his own kingdom more. And so his first love wasn't the Father or Christ, and I think that's what he lacked. And so he loved his life and his stuff more than the kingdom and its God. And so if we're honest this morning, how many of us often can relate? Last week, as an introduction to this series, we talked about God being the master of a vineyard and, and the one who created it all, the one who owns it all, the one who has right to it all. And we concluded in that, that we are stewards of his world. And in that, we looked at the parable that Jesus told about poor tenants who rejected the master and tried to take what wasn't theirs and how the master, after giving them chance after chance, removed them from their position and placed others in their stead. And in that, I think there's a warning for us that we talked about last week, that ultimately the parable shows the history of the nation of Israel and the church's reprisal of their role as the primary steward of what's God's as his ambassadors of his kingdom. And not that he rejected Israel outright or completely. There's still promises there for them, but God put new stewards in their place when their time tending that vineyard was over. But I also shared last week that one of the things that we're called to tend, thankfully, is God's grace so that when we fail to fulfill those responsibilities and when we fall short, God shows us his grace. But again, in that there's responsibility for us to take care of that grace like we would a garden so that it grows and it spreads and that there's a harvest that can be shared and seen by the master when he comes for what's his. And so the rich man in our account that Jim read to us this morning, it's yet another example of somebody who thought that they owned the things that they were given. And while he didn't use violence to keep it for himself, instead what he did is he walked away refusing to return it to the one who owned it or share it with those in need. And so the first question that I have for us this morning is, have we ever done that? Have we ever walked away from those in need or walked away from the master when he asked for what was his? I've certainly made that mistake before. And so this morning, really the question that I want to answer um, is this. It's what does God want us to do with his money and his resources? 
That's the question that I want to discover the answer to this morning. And I hope that as we walk um, out of here this morning that we're reminded that all we have is a gift from God, that the things that we have actually belong to his vineyard. And, and though he wants us to enjoy those gifts, certainly, he also expects those resources to be used for others. Just like last week, I wanted to, us to see these poor stewards to look at um, the temptations and the traps that are there so we could avoid them. This week, I wanted to start um, with this young man so that we could see the mistakes that he made and live differently. And so when it comes to our money and our resources, I think something that's really important for us to get right um, is how we understand the things that we have, because I think it's so easy for us to get wrong. And that's why Christ and really all of Scripture talks about this topic so frequently. For instance, did you know that the Bible includes approximately 500 verses on prayer and faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money? And roughly 40% of Jesus' parables surround this subject. Yet as frequently as the Bible talks about money, there seems to be so much confusion still surrounding the subject. And so today, with the remainder of our time, what I want to do is I want to debunk some common uh, misconceptions or really one about our money. I want to give us some biblical principles to help guide us as we understand the money and resources that we have. And finally, I want to look at a model and an example that Christ gives to answer our question of how God wants us to use that which we've been given. And so with that, I'll just start with that, that really that big misconception that, at least in my experience, has been pervasive. And so in the church today, I think we've all heard someone talk about tithing, for instance. But I don't think that the majority of us have really a full biblical understanding of what exactly tithing was or is or how it applies to us today. And so in the church, there's uh, an immense amount of dispute or misinformation. Um, Every congregation will probably give some kind of different answer about what exactly it is and how it applies under the new covenant. So before we get into our main text, I just want to look at uh, the tithe as scripture presents it. And so here's its history. Uh, uh, throughout all scripture. First, there's no specific passage in scripture that commands a 10% offering exclusively to your local church. It's just, it's just not in there. Um, but the Old Testament actually gives us three tithes that the nation of Israel was instructed to participate in. And so there's the Levitical tithe. Um, you can find that in Numbers 18. There's a charity tithe in Deuteronomy 14, and then there's this festival tithe that you can find in Deuteronomy 12, 14, and 26. So they're all um, mapped out for us. And so this Levitical tithe, it was a 10% annual donation used to support the tribe of Levi. It was used to support the clergy and those who worked in the temple. And so that's the closest that we get to giving a 10% to your local church today. Right? And then you have the charity tithe, which was a 10% tithe that was given in the third and the sixth year of a seven-year cycle that Israel moved through to support foreigners and orphans and widows, as well as provide, again, additional resources to some of the Levites. And then there's this third festival tithe, um, which is probably my favorite tithe, because it was a 10% tithe used to host the Feast of Tabernacles, which was an annual festival honoring God's work, bringing Israel out of Egypt. And so this money was meant to be used to support you and your family during that week-long celebration. And so it was a God-ordained vacation, right? That's pretty good. And so here it is. Tithing is actually not 10%, but if you map things out, it was around, if you spread that out, around 23% of your annual income 
um, and that was what was instructed for Israel. And it was divided between the ministers and the temple, taking care of others, and to be enjoyed yourself. But you and I were not... Um, were no longer held by these specific commands as they stood in the Mosaic law. And so, in fact, tithing in the New Testament, it's only spoken of um, specifically by Christ twice. And in both uh, circumstances, um, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees for tithing, but for rejecting more important matters like justice, mercy, and faith. And so while we're no longer under the law, I do think that there's principles, there's three principles that these three ties teach us. And so as we look at all of these, we see that there's a model for us and that these ties prove to be examples of our responsibilities to each other and the church, to those around us and his community. And so we have a responsibility to the world around us and the needs that are there because the church is God's response to the needs of the world around us. And so he placed us in his vineyard to tend it and take care of it. But he also wants us to enjoy the gifts he's given. And so what I want to start by saying this morning is that we shouldn't feel bad when we enjoy the gifts that we're given, however much or however little we feel they are. But we must also remember that he's made us responsible for those around us, and he wants us to use our resources to care for the needs of others. And, and so as we read through Scripture and we read through the rest of the law for, for Israel as God's people, there are numerous other commands and instructions for Israel to provide for the poor, to show justice to them, to give them opportunity not to take advantage of or forget them. And so what comes out of all these commands is a clear theme, and it's that our wealth is a gift from God and one that functions, one of the functions of our wealth is to provide for our community, especially the poor. And that conclusion, I think, is, is biblical, but it's also a direct quote I got from a book that I highly recommend to you guys called God and Money. And so I read this book a few years ago, and it really changed my and refocused my heart and my mind in relationship to the money and the resources that God has given me. And so I'd be happy to purchase that book for any of you who would be interested in and, and don't want to make that investment yourself. Um, it's a really good book um, just to refocus your mind and explore the scriptures on what it is that God teaches on the subject. And so uh, one thing I think this book does really well, if you choose not to read it, um, is summarize these biblical con uh, conclusions to the question, what does God want us to do with our money and our resources? And, and after studying both the Old and the New Testament, these authors, they came up with some biblical principles that they summarize for our role in stewardship of those things. So I'll just share those with you really quickly. And so um, here's the principles that they concluded um, come from Scripture, that first, everything we own actually belongs to God. And I agree that I spent like 30 minutes last week uh, talking to you guys about that. Second, our wealth and possessions should be used for God's purposes, that both, have a, uh, both uh, how we use our wealth has potential for good and harm. Fourth, that worldly wealth is fleeting, but heavenly treasure is eternal. Five, that giving generously to the poor is a moral duty in a fallen world. Six, that giving should be voluntary, generous, sacrificial, cheerful, and need-based. And finally, that giving generously actually breaks the power of money over us. And so I think all of these are true. And while we don't have time this morning to explore each of these principles this morning, um, 
What I'd like to do instead is focus on the last three, because out of those seven principles, I, I find that these last three are the ones um, that give the best answer to the fundamental question of what God wants us to do with our money. And the reason I think that these last three principles give the best answer to their question is because the parable that we'll be looking at this morning really emphasizes that. So if you'd open with me again in Matthew, we'll be in chapter 20, just following what was read to us in chapter 19. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hot, uh, hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last workers worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to, uh, give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So Jesus' parable tells a story of yet another master, this time hiring day laborers for his vineyard. And in that, that story, at the beginning of the day, he offers them what was then a soldier's earnings, so it was a really healthy wage um, for the work that he was hiring. And so those he hired, they begin to work. And so in his time, day laborers, it was a really common thing. Not everybody had just full-time jobs. And so what people would do each day um, is they would find work wherever they could. They'd stand in the marketplace ready and willing to work with whoever had work for them that day. And a work day was a 12-hour shift beginning and ending at 6. And so the master in our story begins his day at 6 o'clock in the market. He returns at 9, at 12, at 3, and again at 5 to hire more workers for his field. And so I don't know what your experience is when it comes to work, but I was a landscaper for years. Uh, I work in construction now, so there are two fields that will still uh, are happy to hire day laborers. And so uh, back where I worked landscaping, it was very common for us. We actually didn't go to the marketplace. We would go up to Home Depot with empty trucks. Uh, and by the time we left, we'd have seats full of laborers for the day. And so what I learned from that experience is the only reason that you would leave people there, uh, you choose not to hire somebody who is there, is because maybe they didn't look the part. Maybe you didn't think they'd be strong enough for the work that you had. Maybe they seemed too old. Whatever the reason, there was one. And so 
as we look at this parable, uh, we see that it's important to, to recognize that the people there, it's not because they're lazy that they're standing there. And I think so many people will make that mistake and make those assumptions, but it's that they're needy. And these people are need, in need of work, but I think if we just consider these things and dig a little bit deeper, we understand that they need work because ultimately they need provision, right? They need food. They need to be able to pay for whatever um, their accommodations are, where they sleep that night, right? They have bills just like the rest of us. These people have needs, and thus far they've been passed by when it comes to an opportunity to work for it or for help. But this landowner was gracious. And so he continued throughout the day to go back to that marketplace to find people who needed work and to offer to them. He invited them into their vineyard. And while he was giving them work, he was also being quite gracious to give them that opportunity. And so I think there's a principle there that we can take from the parable just up to this point. And that like Christ, we should keep an eye out and pursue the needs of others like this master did. For this master, he didn't wait for people to come to him or to ask for work. He wasn't content to see who he could hire only at the beginning of the day, but he continued to pursue and seek out those with need, and upon finding them, he offered it. He invited them to work, and he invited them to come into what he was doing, and he gave them a place there. And so as we look at the church, I think it's important for us to remember that we shouldn't be content only with the people that are here today. I know Evan certainly doesn't feel like his work is done now that Liberty Northeast exists. And so I think it should still be our work to pursue others and invite them into God's vineyard and his family and his kingdom. And we should seek the needs of others proactively. And it goes so far beyond just inviting people into our doors here. I think this parable goes to illustrate that caring for others and providing of these needs isn't reactive but intentional. And so is that true of us in this room? When it comes to the needs of others, is that something that we seek out or are we content only to be reactive when we're approached by it? And then when we are approached by it, are we reactive or are we dismissive? Do we go out of our way to find those in need and see how we can fulfill what's lacking? When it comes to opportunities that are available to us, do we look only to select those who seem best in our eyes or do we try to make room for any who are willing? You know, last week I shared with you guys some of my experience as a youth pastor and things that I learned there. Um, this week I'll tell you something that I learned that I think this parable illustrates in my time also leading a praise team. Uh, so the church that I was at before this one, um, we were just blessed with the amount of talent that would walk through the door that would be interested in being a part of the team. Uh, and so that meant that we had to have auditions because there's only so many people that you can get on a stage at once. But it was really important to me that as these people came in, uh, that we would find a fit for them. I didn't want to turn anyone down who was desiring to serve. And so what that meant was sometimes somebody who wanted to play guitar on stage ended up behind the soundboard or in projection. Or somebody who thought that they were a lead vocalist uh, maybe was a support vocalist or uh, a background singer. But whatever it was, I tried hard to look uh, for what... Uh, a place was that that person could participate in what was going on. I didn't want to look past those who were looking for work. And so let's find your fit became a really common expression for us. 
And, and I think as time went on, most people began to care less about where on the team they were serving and, and were much more excited that they were on the team. And I think this parable um, goes to just show how, how these workers that were there for that one hour, I think were grateful and certainly grateful when they saw what they received for it. And so far, I think it's been my experience here, and something I'm really thankful for from what I've observed is that we've all been really willing to jump in where there's need. Everybody that we've talked to has just been um, a blessing with wonderful attitudes as it comes to serving each other here. So I want to commend you and Evan for building that culture together, and I pray that we never lose that. And I hope that all of you know how appreciated you are, um, certainly by Evan and myself and the leaders here, for whatever role that you have in this congregation. I think it's a sign of a healthy church uh, when you can find your fit, even if it's in an unexpected place. And so again, applying this, this principle of our theme this morning when it comes to our finances and our resources, are we proactive in the places that they're used? Are we willing to use them wherever the need is? Are we willing to share them or have we made them exclusive? Are we proactive and intentional in finding areas and people with need and giving opportunity for the things that we have to meet those? When it comes to God's money, are you proactive in seeking where and how God wants it to be used? Or did you stop your search just as soon as it began? content with the work of your past instead of looking if there's more need or work to be done. Again, I think as we look at this master's interactions with those he's hired throughout the day, something else uh, that I found really important for us to understand is for all the workers from nine to five, he didn't offer them a day's wage. Instead, he just told them he would pay them whatever was right, verse four. And by the end of the parable, we see that what was right in the master's eye was to be generous. So what was right in the master's eye was to be generous. And this is the point and the principle, I think, that's the best answer to our question, right? If our question we're trying to answer today is ultimately, what does God want us to do with his money and his resources? I think the answer is God wants us to be generous like he is generous, God wants us to be generous like he's generous. So if you write down anything from this morning, I hope it's that. Jesus illustrates this point not just in the master's proactive search for people to be generous to, but that he also pays those last workers first so that everyone else gets to see what kind of master he is. And this didn't make him popular with those workers at the beginning of the day, right? Look at verse 10 again with me. He says, Now when those hired first, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius, and receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying these last workers only worked one hour and you've made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day and scorching heat. But here's how the master replies, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave you. And he asks the question, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity? Right? So we live in a world today that seems to think that in order for something to be right, that it has to be fair. That's simply not true. Though these workers from the beginning of the day seem to think that they were owed more just because they saw that somebody else got something that they wanted. 
after seeing the generosity of the master towards these strangers, their greed and self-entitlement really kicks in. And so as we look at that, my question is, has that ever been you? Do rumors of potential student loan forgiveness infuriate you today? Does the thought of a welfare program give you nightmares? Does universal health care sound unreasonable or dangerous to you? And so I'm not asking these questions to make political statements. If you know me at all, I'm certainly not political. But instead, I'm asking you to step out of whatever stance you have to simply look at the people who may be helped and consider if they are the people in this master's parable. Are they people that he would have hired in the last hour? Are they people he would have sought to help? And so as we look at these things, we recognize that not everything is fair, but that doesn't mean it's not right. And I think to myself, if I don't want to pay for these things, that's not fair. When I look at like programs of today, and I say, I didn't get those. And as I'm self-reflective, I realize that in those moments, when I hear of these future programs, when I hear of these potential things, I'm probably not thinking like Christ. Because instead, the thoughts we should frequently be having are, who and where around us is their need? And what do I have that could help? And how much can I give? And how generous can I be? And how can I grow in generosity? The master in our parable, he's accused of wrong when he's generous. But the parable teaches us that generosity was what was right. Being fair was just fair. But being generous was right. And I think God wants others to see how generous he is because generosity is right. And he wants us to be the ones who reveal his generosity by being the stewards he calls us to be with the money and the resources that he's given us. And so listen, being cheap and stingy is not being a good steward. Hoarding what God's given you isn't being a good steward. There's stories about that too and building up those warehouses. Spending all that we have on entertainment and on ourselves is also not being a good steward, though he wants us to enjoy the things he's given us. And even simply being fair isn't being a good steward. It's just being fair as defined by the rest of the world. But being generous is what this parable teaches is right. And so in this parable, Jesus speaks of the generosity, of the grace of God, in that he pursues people from the greatest to the least, and he invites all of them into his kingdom. That's the spiritual reality of this parable. And regardless of where and when these people come from, the status and the wage will be the same, which is eternity in his kingdom. That's a spiritual truth that this principle or this parable teaches. But the story that Jesus uses to illustrate that reality is centered around needy people in need of work, in need of assistance from others, in need of opportunity, in need of generosity, and in teaching about the reality of the kingdom that will all be equal in his kingdom regardless of when we come or how we come. It also teaches us that physical reality when it comes to the story of wages, Jesus tells us what's right is to be generous with God's money and God's resources. 
And so in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us that at the final judgment, that those who inherit the kingdom are those uh, who sought out the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the naked and the sick and the orphan and the widow and the poor and those in prison. And, and it's those who care for them that he welcomes in. And so is that you? And is that us? And he says that whenever we do these things for those people, we do it for him. And in the same fashion, when we walk past and turn away from the needs of others, he says that we turn from him. And St. Augustine, sim- similarly to this parable, he, he said that, Wherefore, as often as you are able to help others and refuse, so often did you do them wrong. And I think that's important for us to understand, that generosity is right, and turning from the needs of others is wrong. It's not just idle or indifferent. It's wrong. And I think so many of us often feel trapped or lost when it comes to how we spend God's money and his resources. Sometimes we think that we're waiting for this big moment that he'll reveal to us that this is the time to be generous. Uh, Other times I think we're scared that if we're generous to someone else, somehow we're going to hurt ourselves. It's so easy for us um, to, to, to be prevented from being generous because of our fears, because of our selfishness, our pride, our self-righteousness, or our own confusions. But I think Christ's example makes it clear. In thinking of how to be generous, I think a shift in our thinking has to occur so that instead of asking, how much should I give, we instead should be asking, how much do I need to keep? And we should constantly be looking for where we can give and be excited to see just how much we can give away. And so listen, last week I told you that there's a group in our community, we talked about their game this morning, the the pioneers, our neighbors here that are $1,000 away from their goal to be able to complete their season. And Luke from from the pioneers, uh, he came and he he spoke to us a few weeks ago about that and they have their uh, home game on the 15th and you can sign up for that online, you can go to that game, it's $10 at the door to help them towards their goal and potentially that insignificant game uh, to us could be so huge to them. Like the money that we give towards them makes such a difference. It communicates love when we're generous and we meet their needs. And last week I also told you about a family that reached out to us that needs help because they lost so much in a flood. They lost their home. They lost their things. And how much could we in this room put together? And how much of God's generosity could we show? And how much of his love and his grace could we show with the things that God's given us if we would meet these two needs? Something as simple as a basketball team in our community and providing for them and something as significant as a family who lost everything in a natural disaster. And so here's what I've done. By the door, there's an extra um, offering container to collect money both for the pioneers and for this family. And so it's going to be there again next week. And my plan is at the end of the service to tell you all exactly how generous that we've been to these two causes. And so to be clear, I'm not trying to guilt any of you into giving towards these two things. I'm not trying to tell you that you're obligated to give towards these things, right? Generosity should be voluntary. But the reason that I put that container out there for this week and next is to give us a mirror and an opportunity to ask ourselves the question and to see in ourselves if we reflect more closely this morning that rich young man who walked away in Matthew 19 or the generous master in Matthew 20. 
And so as we search the scriptures for God's answer to the question, what does he want us to do with his money and his resources? I believe Matthew 20 gives us this wonderful summary and clear principle of what God believes is right when it comes to how we should spend his money and his resources. Yes, he wants us to enjoy those ourselves. Yes, we have a responsibility to the church for his people, but we also have an immense responsibility for the least of these, those around us. What God wants us to do with his money and his resources is be generous. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the stories that you tell uh, and uh, the history that you give us that we can see that it was a part of your law for your people to train them in generosity, to see the needs of others because it's so easy to look past those and only see ourselves. Lord, I pray for us in this room that we wouldn't be that young man who walked away with our heads down when you asked for what was yours and you asked to share that with others, but we would be that generous master who's seeking the needs of others, who's seeking those who are willing, who are seeking those who are unable, and that you would provide for them. Lord, I thank you that the spiritual reality of Matthew 20 is a lesson on your kingdom and access to it that you continue to pursue. Lord, and that no matter what state somebody's in or how late in the game they enter, you're willing to invite them to your vineyard and your kingdom. And Lord, that the wage for all of them is the same, and it's entry into your eternal kingdom, those who would follow you and be obedient to you. Lord, but I also thank you for the earthly reality that that story teaches us, is that we should be pursuing others the same way, and we should be pursuing those in need, and we should be giving them opportunity, and we should be providing for them because we are your church, which is your plan for the world. Let us be good ambassadors of your kingdom now. Let us be good stewards of the things you've given us now, which means being generous. And so we ask these things in your name. Amen.